Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss and reflect on faith and philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social issues. We want to engage ideas on what it means to be a free human being in the pursuit of human flourishing. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Humanity Matters Weekly. I am your host, Dr. Philip Fletcher, and today is Ask Dr. Phil. It's your opportunity to essentially control the show, uh, take questions on faith and philosophy, nonprofit leadership, social issues, superhero genre, comic books, science fiction. I like that stuff. If you can tell from right behind me, all right, kind of my wall of fame with Star Wars Legos and got other stuff that you can't see right now. But nonetheless, hey, I'm glad uh, you could join me live. Or if you want to catch the uh, recording of this, will be up on YouTube as well. It will be available this week on the Humanity Matters podcast, which releases during uh, the week. And so there's different ways that you can connect with me. You can connect with me on Twitter at Phil Fletcher. That's at Phil Fletcher on Twitter, on Facebook, on the uh, public page. That's Dr. Philip Fletcher, two L's. Then on YouTube, hey, Humanity Matters Media, just put that in the search bar. Uh, you'll see the logo. You might see my face. Hey, subscribe. I would greatly appreciate it. And then as always, you can find it on the World Wide Web, the website, philipfletcher.org. That's philipfletcher.org. Again, that is two L's. Again, this is Humanity Matters Weekly Special, the semi-annual Ask Dr. Phil. I like to do this twice a year uh, during May and then again at the end of the year because I want to hear your thoughts. I want to interact with you. Let's have a dialogue because this is a place where I want to discuss ideas and those ideas which contribute to human flourishing. All right. So coming up on this coming Friday, we will conclude volume two of Rap, Hip Hop and Freedom. And we will be looking at KDOT's Kendrick Lamar from uh, Compton. This uh, volume, we have looked at Boogie Down Productions, West Coast All-Stars, looked at Lil Baby, Queen Latifah, uh, really seeing What does rap and hip hop have to say about the things obviously that's going on in what is considered the American black community, but also what seeds can we find in relationship to classical liberalism or libertarianism? I'm a big proponent of those ideas and want to expose people to those ideas that they've never heard of them or read from people like John Stuart Mill or Frederick Bastiat or Mary Rothbard or Nozick, those type of persons. So check out Rap, Hip Hop, and Freedom. Uh, The final episode for volume two will release this Friday as we look at Kendrick Lamar. And then coming up in June, uh, we'll be sitting down with Lawrence Reed, who is uh, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, Humphreys Family Senior Fellow, Ron Manners, Global Ambassador for Liberty. That is the Humanity Matters one-on-one with Lawrence Reed. And so it'll be an exciting uh, episode as we're going to discuss 
his book was Jesus a Socialist. Also, we're going to discuss this paradigm about communism and socialism and fascism. All right. Are those is communism and fascism? Are they complete polar opposites or are they pretty much coming from the same worldview? So we'll look at and talk about that and much more. And so that is Lawrence Reed. Looking forward to that interview that will be coming out in June. So again, this is Humanity Matters Weekly. I am your host, Dr. Philip Fletcher, and we are going to be taking your questions. I have some questions that are starting to come in. So um, got some other questions as well. There's this app I've been participating in. It's called uh, the Soundwave app, and I would encourage you to check it out. I was invited uh, to participate in this, and it's kind of like a Twitter, but it's audio. So if you've been on Twitter, you know, you get those characters. You can only say so much with the Soundwave app. They give you 60 seconds to say something, and then there's interaction between people, and it's all audio. So what's great about this app is you get to hear people's tone, their inflection, uh, how they are uh, communicating their idea, which is completely different than trying to really understand someone when they're just trying to you know, put an idea in some limited character spacings, like on Twitter or even on Facebook. So, hey, check out Soundwave app, and we're going to be taking a question from there. So, you know, just to get things started, you know, it's Memorial Day uh, weekend. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is our opportunity to reflect and remember those servicemen and women who died in service to their country, all right? Um, Whether that was while they were on active duty or National Guard or Reserve, or even, you know, those that, you know, completed their service and they passed away. And so it's an opportunity for battle buddies, right, to remember fallen battle buddies. It's an opportunity for family members to remember their family members who served in all these different flicks that America has been in over uh, the years. And so uh, just as a reminder, as, as a veteran myself, this day is not necessarily for those that are living per se, but it's a remembrance of those who gave their lives uh, in service for their country. All right. And so a lot of great things going on. I'll be doing the Murph uh, tomorrow. Be doing that again. It's my third time doing it. So if you don't know what the Murph is, uh, look it up. It's in honor of Lieutenant Murphy, who died in Afghanistan. He was a Navy SEAL. And the Murph is one mile run, 100 pull ups, uh, 200 push ups, 300 squats or air squats, and then another mile run. So that'll be fun in the morning. And then in the afternoon, be going over to our county courthouse, the Faulkner County Courthouse, and uh, be having a memorial service, remembrance, uh, and meal again uh, for those family members who have had family members pass away, as well as honor veterans as well. So if you're not doing anything and you live in Conway, right, or in Faulkner County, come on down to the Faulkner County Courthouse and uh, let's honor those who have gone before us, who raised their right hand to support and defend the Constitution. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic, right? Uh, who have served this country. So that's going on. 
other things that's going on. Hey, if you keep up with superhero stuff, uh, the CW, uh, Black Lightning, that ended after a four-year run, all right? And Jefferson Pierce, he's a superhero, uh, Black Lightning, uh, a American black superhero, right? An original superhero who was black. He wasn't white before, and then they made him black. No, he is like in the vein of a static shock or a Falcon. I know Falcon's in Marvel. Um, a John Stewart, Green Lantern, right? He's part of the Green Lantern Corps. Okay, but Black Lightning, uh, that ended uh, with finally the defeat of Tobias Well. Now, if you watch that, it opened up, the whole series opened up with uh, Jefferson uh, Pierce. He had given up the mantle of being Black Lightning. Uh, Tobias Well thought he had killed Black Lightning. So it's kind of interesting. The first episode of the series opened with Resurrection. And then the last episode of the series opened up with Resurrection. Um, and because the last, the penultimate episode uh, for the series finale, Tobias Well had defeated Black Lightning and had buried him alive and he thought he was dead. And then there's this image of Black Lightning coming up out of the grave. And ultimately, he defeats uh, Tobias Well. They have a fight in his penthouse and uh, Tobias Well ends up impaled on uh, a pole outside of his building. Um, also, we saw the return of uh, the actress who was playing Lightning, okay? Uh, uh, China McLean, she had walked away from, serve, uh, from her acting role as Lightning, but they kind of did a, a t- plot twist, right? And so she had walked away literally from acting. So they had to replace her character, right? So Lightning became a new character. But what they did was she actually wasn't Jen, okay? There was Jen and there's Anissa, all right? There were the two daughters, Thunder and Lightning. All right, you find them in the comic books as well. Uh, but she was giving off some cues that she actually wasn't the real Jen. And then in the series finale, uh, the fake Jen had went up to like in the ionosphere to like power herself and the real Jen returned and then the real Jen defeated the fake Jen. Um, and that saw the return of China McLean. And so overall, Black Lightning, it was a good series. I give it like a C plus. I think the acting could have been better. OK, Jefferson Pierce, he was awesome. He Obviously, he did crossovers during the infinite uh, crisis with flash and arrow. That's when the arrow died last uh, season um, with Supergirl and Batwoman, so on and so forth. The Ruby Rose Batwoman, not the, Oh, bat. Oh, that show is terrible. But anyways, Hey, but that's what's going on in the superhero genre. So, Hey, this is Dr. Philip Fletcher. It is humanity matters weekly. And it is Ask Dr. Phil. And we got some questions coming in. And um, we're going to put something up. Okay. And this first one comes from uh, Jeremy. And he asked this. Martin Luther King said that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. What should both the white church and the black church do to change that? And what can they learn from each other? Great question, Jeremy. So, yes, in a speech um, given on early in his uh, career as the civil rights leader uh, in in the United States, Martin Luther King did give a 
uh, message. And also you can find, I believe alluded to in his letters from a Birmingham jail. Don't quote me on that, uh, where he uh, lamented the fact that uh, 11 o'clock Sundays is the most segregated hour, right? You know, you have black churches and you have white churches. Now, if we go historically, we can understand uh, the advent of the black church, beginning with the African Methodist uh, Episcopal Church um, in Maryland, okay? And then what led to the African Methodist Episcopal Church Zion later on. Um, and that's because um, blacks were basically, if they were able to come to church, they had to sit up in the balcony, if you will, while the whites sat at the bottom. And one influential, significant event happening with Absalom Jones, he sought to go down and pray where the white people are, and they drug him on his knees out of the church. And uh, as a result, uh, we had the formation of the AME church, all right, Mother Bethel, right? So moving forward, all right, you have the development of black churches, you have the development of white churches, you have also uh, with some more low churches, right? Uh, an evangelistic zeal. So we're looking at the Methodist Pentecostal types. I know Pentecostal comes later with the advent of uh, the Church of God in Christ at Azusa and the Assembly of God uh, coming as well. Uh, but nonetheless, um, what you had was uh, more so these low church, if you will, um, evangelistic type churches that were going throughout uh, the South and leading out towards the West who were working with uh, freed slaves. Okay. Newly freed slaves. All right. Blacks who were still, blacks who were still struggling uh, with reading such so forth. Right. And they were getting licensed, right. If you will, they were getting licensed. They didn't have to go through any type of seminary or anything like that. And so uh, from that, you know, because what was already existing within uh, the black community, okay, was, if you will, this this underground church, if you will, where uh, during slavery that they would gather together on Sundays and that they would worship, right? And uh, they would speak and um, there would be a great emphasis on the leader and singing and exuberant. So fast forward, right? Because of context, Right. Um, you do have the continual growth of, if you will, black churches, white churches. Right. On a visible level. Now, I need to say this. I'm just getting into some theology. The universal church, the big C church, if you will, there is no like black church, white church. Right. When we get down to what we see on a daily basis. Right. We've got black churches. We've got white churches. Right. Then we've got Latino churches and Asian churches, right? Then we've got multi-ethnic churches, all right? Um, when you get into uh, your high churches, so that would be like uh, your Anglican, Episcopal, Presbyterian, whether that's Presbyterian USA, Presbyterian Church of America, um, you can see you know, some differences as well. But even in those churches, right, you've got homogeneity, in terms of ethnicity, but also you got heterogeneity as well, okay? So, will there ever be a day in which 
we will have like all multi-ethnic churches visibly. I don't know. You know, I would be it would be hopeful. You know, we live in a country uh, where people associate with whom they want to associate. And the reason people associate with whom they want to associate has a lot of variables to it. Right. Obviously, there is um, affiliation on the basis of family. There's affiliation even on the basis of appearance. There's affiliation on the basis of language. So um, even within the black church, if you will, um, you're going to have even some segregation. Right. Because you have uh, American blacks who were born here. Right. And they're going to worship in a particular church. But you also could have uh, blacks who have immigrated here. Right. Say from Africa or uh, from another country that is predominantly uh, has individuals with black skin and they end up here in America and they want to worship <laughs> with a people. Right. So even within what is called the black church on the basis of a physical characteristic, you're going to see some segregation, not on the basis of skin color, but actually on the basis of nationality. Right. And. And it is safe to say that you could find that as well with other uh, ethnic groups, right? Now, what does that mean for the church? What ties the Christians together should not be skin color, all right? Should not even be language, right? What ties Christians together is the belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God became a man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. He he ministered, he offered the gospel, right? Um, he died on a cross, however you think about the atonement, okay? Uh, needless to say, he died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again, right? Now, you know, it's the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. All of those things are confessed, right? Those are the things that, that, that bind Christians together, okay? I mean, we even see that, you know, ethnic tension going on in the first century regarding the church. So I would have to say what we see in America in terms of segregation, if you will, either by choice now or by law in the past. Right. Um, it's nothing new. Right. Um, so even discrimination is nothing new. Discrimination within the visible church, right, is nothing new. But here's a beautiful thing. I feel like I'm about to start preaching, right? But here's a beautiful thing. This discrimination that is experienced within the church, whether it's black to white or white to black or white to Asian or black to Asian, yet all of those individuals are naming the name of Jesus Christ. It's covered under the blood, invoking that Pentecostal thought. It's covered under the blood. All right. It's only by the grace of God, right, that we no longer sit under condemnation or shame, but it's by the grace of God that we have been rescued. So the process that we're going through now as, as Christians, whatever your flavor is, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, and then whatever that breaks down to, right, at the end of the day, what will save you is Christ not your ethnic affiliation, not your nationality, not whether you put your right hand over your heart to say the Pledge of Allegiance, not whether or not you stand up or kneel at the national anthem. None of those things save you. 
The only thing that saves you, the only thing that you can have confidence in is God who's revealed himself in Jesus Christ and who seals us by the Holy Spirit. So great question, uh, Jeremy. Again, MLK said that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. What should both white church and black church do to change that? And what can they learn from each other? So let me get to that next part, okay? What can they learn from each other? Hey, these are things that you can learn, right? Again, we have to be careful here because (laughs) we have to ask ourselves, when we say a white church, then we got to ask, what denomination are we talking about? And then when we say, what denomination are we talking about? Then we got to ask some follow-up questions, you know, do they believe in the infallibility of the word of God? You know, those kind of things. What do they think about, you know, the gifts of the spirit? What do they think about TULIP? What do they think about uh, TULIP and the doctrines of grace? You know, so on and so forth. Free will versus non-free wills. So on and so forth, right? But the same thing with the black church. So what does it look like then for, let's say, a Presbyterian PCA type who is white parishioner? He sits down with a PCUSA black parishioner. There's a whole lot of things that have to be bridged, theological, right, as well as ethnic. All right. If we're talking in terms of worship patterns or worship styles, again, there's a lot of different variables that are influencing why a particular group worships the way they worship. You know, you go to some denominations, the hands are up, right? You go to some other denomination, it's like you can hear a pin drop, right? So depending on where uh, those two different individuals are coming from, uh, it's going to greatly influence what they, how they're going to learn from one another, okay? Uh, I think it's important though, Again, that for the person that belongs to the black church and the person that belongs to the white church, that they fundamentally understand that that immutable characteristic, namely skin color. Right. All right. There is no power in that skin color. All right. There is no redemptive qualities about your skin color. There is no redemptive qualities about your black skin, brown skin as similar. There is no redemptive qualities about your white skin. And I think that's part of the problem um, is that people explicitly or implicitly state that there is some type of power, if you will, vested within their skin color. That's wrong. But equally wrong is that because of your skin color, there's some level of inferiority. Both of those are equally wrong. So what can they learn from one another? They can learn from one another the grace of God, right? And they can learn from one another that both of them are in need of God's grace. They're both in need of God's forgiveness, mercy, and above all, we're all in need of God's love, right? Hey, this is Humanity Matters Weekly. Ask Dr. Phil if you've got a question, right? Hit me up. I would be very uh, happy to take a question. We got another question that will be uh, coming through again on Soundwave app and reading this question because I had to to write it down. 
All right. And this comes from Joey. All right. So why do I think America? Okay. Do I think America is polarized right now or is it not polarized? What is the solution to bring people together? All right. And that is from Joey. Okay. And so do I think America is polarized right now? Yes, I do. I think America is polarized. And pretty sadly, uh, I think the reason, well, one of the reasons, not a reason, but one of the reasons is the the amount of access to information that we have. And it is human nature to remain with what is comfortable. What do I mean? So when I'm searching the internet, right? And I want to look up, I don't know, how to build a widget, right? I learn information. Eventually, I want to remain with information that is supportive of what I believe and how I think a widget is to be made. Makes sense, right? Now, as I am working, okay, and I stumble upon some information that's like, uh, I don't like uh, what they're communicating about how to make a widget, okay? Just don't like it at all. So what I'm going to do is anytime I see some information that contradicts what I already know about making said widget, I'm going to be like, yeah, that don't make any sense. Nope. That don't make any sense. That's absurd. I don't agree. Right. And so what we do is we begin to push out more and more what makes us feel uncomfortable, meaning it's challenging our preconceived notions. It's challenging those things that we're bringing to the table. Now, uh, if you follow me for any type of time, I've referred to uh, John Stuart Mill and his book on liberty. And he says it's important to entertain ideas from wherever. Why? Because it can help solidify what you already know as to be true or It can serve as a means to say, hey, you know what? What you've learned and held to and thought about and believe, actually, it's not not true at all, right? So it's important to engage with ideas. It's very important to engage with ideas. But what is contributing to the polarization is, again, we've got all this information that is available to us, we get comfortable with a certain idea and uh, supporting literature, videos, tweets, Facebook posts that support that affectionately held idea. And if anything different comes that challenges what we hold as dear, we're like, oh no, push that aside. And that's how that polarization begins to happen. It takes a lot of courage to sit down with somebody 
who is challenging what you know or what you think you know is to be true. It's very challenging, but it takes courage, right? It takes courage because it's going to require a level of humility. It's going to take courage because it's going to require uh, you to put your hand over your mouth, open your ears, and listen. And it's also going to take courage to possibly admit, hey, you know what? I've been wrong about that. My thinking has changed on that. I've looked at the other information, the other perspective, and you know what? I was wrong, right? Or it could take courage to be like, I have interrogated what I have deeply held to, what I believe. I've taken it through this rigorous process. I've ask questions of what I believe. I've looked at this contradictory information, if you will. I've walked away and I've realized, yes, what I have believed to be true is true. I have a greater confidence in it. And in fact, I even know how to articulate it a whole lot better now because I did the courageous thing of interrogating this deeply held belief. And if we were to do more and more of those things, right? If we were courageous enough to get out of our silos, right? If we were courageous enough to sit down and listen to someone else who thinks or sees something differently than we do, imagine what could happen. Now, this is cycling into the second part of Joey's question regarding how do we bring people together in terms of unity? All right. Again, it's Dr. Philip Fletcher with Humanity Matters Weekly. It's Ask Dr. Phil. If you got a question, post it. Taking them, right? Taking some good questions today. And right now we are dealing with uh, basically free speech and polarization in America and the solutions that bring people together. You know, earlier this year, um, as, as an example, uh, here in Arkansas, uh, the legislature had proposed a bill uh, to ban critical race theory or CRT, right? So, you know, people was like, blah, 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 critical race theory is this, critical race theory is not this. You know, one of the things I was noticing was, well, do you actually know what it is? Like what it is, what it's proposing? Right. And so that required me to be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to dig into some material, you know, try to and and be as objective as possible. Right. I got my biases. Right. But look at the source material. See what Derek Bell, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Kimberly Crenshaw, Ibrahim Kendi and others were saying. Robin D'Angelo, she's kind of like a satellite, like a little moon out there regarding this stuff, but really the source material, right? And see what it was that these individuals are saying, right? Um, And then simply put that information out there and then people need to make their own minds up, right? That's one of the things I would hope I would do here. 
But I, I have my own ideas about this whole thing. But I had to like, okay, let me sit down and read this stuff. And and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it was like, a, oh my gosh, this stuff is whoo. I can see how particular persons are having difficulty with this theory. Hear what I said. It's a theory, critical race theory, right? And I also can see from the critical race theorist side, they have some valid points. They make some legitimate, valid points, right? I'm not going to invoke the whole thing about factual and all that kind of stuff, right? But they're making some some points that need to be considered. Namely, what does it mean to tell the perspective of history from a different point of view? And, and I use the example of seeing a car accident, right? And if you're only capturing the witness testimony of one person on the corner and ignoring the other three corners, you're not getting a full accurate retelling of the accident that happened at that intersection, right? So I think that's very important for us moving forward, okay? If we want to move away from this polarization, okay? And so let me say this. I think a lot of what we've seen, especially in the last uh, two years, we've got some extremists on the right and we've got extremists on the left. So let me say to my brothers and sisters, if you're on the right, you need to acknowledge that you've got a cancer on your side. And to my brothers and sisters on the the left, right, the political left, right, you need to admit that you've got a cancer growing on your side as well, right? Part of the problem with the reason we get polarized is we don't hold accountable those within our particular family, okay, if you will. The right are looking at the left and lobbing bombs at them, lobbing stones at their glass, at their house, right? Not realizing that the right, they live in a glass house and the left is lobbing stones at those on the right and the left is not realizing you live in a glass house as well, right? And um, for the left, you need to admit you got a cancer called Antifa. You do. For the right, you got a cancer in terms of white nationalism. You do. Right? You just do. That's just it. You just do. Now, whatever sources of news that you get, they may not want to admit that. Right? But the fact is, that there are cancers on both sides. And those cancers are what is dominating the news cycle. Those cancers, people are looking at those cancers, right? Those few and saying, well, those few are acting like that. That's more than likely the whole is like that. And mm, again, I've challenged people that if you look at your day-to-day interactions with people, I think the everyday people that you run into on a daily basis are not the people that's being described on your news outlets. Mm. So the bobbleheads on Fox News, the bobbleheads on CNN and MSNBC, and, you know, 
whatever other news, those bobbleheads, they're really not representing your neighbors well. So it's important for you to get out, get to know your neighbors. You can go a long way. Hey, this is Humanity Matters Weekly. I am Dr. Philip Fletcher, and we are taking questions. We've been taking questions on uh, free speech, superhero genre. Uh, we've got Memorial Day weekend coming up. All right. And if you got a question, you can just put it in the comment section. I would gladly take it. I love questions. Again, this is an opportunity for you to dictate uh, the show. Uh, it's an opportunity for me to get to know uh, you and, you know, hear your thoughts. If there's something that you've heard that you disagree with, hey, shoot it out to me. I would love to uh, hear what it is that you've got to say. What's your perspective on it? Maybe uh, you think we need less free speech. Let's talk about it. So the second part to uh, Joey's question, he asked, so how can we bring people together? All right. How can we bring people together? So unity. Oh, there's such a, that word is such a mixed bag. Unity. What's another word that's a mixed bag? Inclusive. That's another mixed bag word. I go like this when uh, I hear those words because um, I don't think you mean what it thinks it means, right? So unity, unity has to have the recognition, okay, of individuals. That's where we have to start, right? We have to start with the reality that here in America, we've got a, at least 350 million individuals, we just do. We have 350 million individuals. And as such, there's 350 million ways of looking at life. Okay? Now, as you move up, right, or as individuals begin to coalesce and begin to form groups, what happens? A group forms on the basis of shared ideas, shared values, shared beliefs, uh, some shared actions, right? So they're unified around particular beliefs, values, actions, but within that group of 10, there's still 10 individuals. So those 10 individuals have not um, given up their whatever's that make them an individual, all right? But what they have found is, oh, I like the color blue. You like the color blue? Well, cool, let's sit together. Oh, you like the color blue? Yeah, then 10 individuals join together to make the blue group, right? But those 10 individuals, while they are unified regarding the color blue, they may be disunified regarding voting patterns. Right. So you may have four that vote independent. All right. You may have two that vote Republican. You could have two that vote Democrat. And then you have two that vote 
like libertarian, right? So on the basis of color affinity, they're like, yes, all day we're unified. On the basis of how they view their politics, right? They're not unified. And so those individuals move from affinity blue, they move out and they're like, hey, those two go to their Democrats, those two go to their Republicans, those four go to their uh, independent, and those other two go to their libertarian. Now they are unified on the basis of how they vote, right? But even then, if you look at 10 Democrats, 10 Republicans, 10 independents, 10 libertarians, right? Within that, you could have 10 different ways of looking at, I don't know, what cars they want to drive. Okay. I, I hope you're you're rolling with me here. Okay. So unity. We have to ask ourselves, what are we unifying specifically for while at the same time not demanding of not forcibly telling somebody that they have to give up something that is critical to who they are as a individual. I think that is very important. So let me try to tie these two things together. Two questions, right? So we had one question asked about uh, the segregation of the church, right? Black, white, what unifies them? Again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Christ come, Christ died, Christ come again, right? That's what unifies these individuals, okay? That. But there's other things in which they're not unified on. Fill in the blank. So we have to be clear on what we are going to freely. Now, here's the key thing now. We have to be clear. What is it that we're going to freely unify around? Because if I'm forced to unify around something, either by a threat of violence, all right, the threat of something being taken away that is mine, then that's not true unity, all right? That's a whole other thing. That's called tyranny, all right? As an authoritarian person acting in such a way um, to impose his or her values and beliefs on an individual or a group of individual because he or she believes that their way of thinking about life is the way and all others have to submit to that. That's like, no, 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 that's not unity. That's slavery. All right, that's slavery. So moving forward, Americans, what are the common things that we can unify around? This weekend offers us a profound opportunity to think on those things. I can think of a couple. Life, liberty, I can think of three. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Right? I can think of some other ones. The opportunity to move throughout this country wherever you want to move to. The opportunity to start whatever business that you want to start. Right? There are other countries that ain't like that. Okay, the opportunity for a woman who is not white to pursue one of the highest offices of the land and ends up with a number two spot. Right. I think we can unify around those kind of things. Right. 
those are what are called liberal ideas, right? Freedom, okay? The opportunity for an individual to choose for him or herself, his or her course of life. I think we can unify around those things, all right? Hey, it's Dr. Philip Fletcher, Fletcher uh, Humanity Matters Weekly, and it is Ask Dr. Phil. It's your opportunity to control this show. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left. We got another uh, question coming through. All right. And it's from Jeremy. And we're going to take it. Jeremy, what you got for us? All right. If no one else has a question lined up after Joyce, how close do you think we are from the average American realizing how much in taxes they actually pay and then taking action to change that? Hmm. Mm. So, yeah. So quickly, let's look up how much is the average American paying taxes? Let's look that up. All right. So I'm going to look that up. All right. So let's see here. So we got some different articles that came up. Uh, what's a pretty reputable one here? All right, so Business Insider. Can we do some homework, y'all? Can we do some homework? Let's look at this. So the headline, average amount Americans pay in federal income taxes by income level. So this was September 28th, 2020. All right. So the average federal income tax payment in 2018 was $15,322. All right. All right. Americans in the most common income bracket earned an adjusted gross income between $50,000 and $75,000 in 2018 and paid an average income tax of $4,688. All right. It goes on to say, among the 153 million Americans who filed tax returns in 2018, the average federal income tax payment was $15,322. According to the most recent IRS data, Taxes are determined in part as a percentage of income, graduated base income on level and filing status. All right. Let's see what else we got here. All right. Uh, so that's the most recent article that I have found. Okay. So taxes. And I think, Jeremy, if we looked at like, all taxes, all right? So we can like be honest, okay? So we got to pay federal income tax. We got to pay state taxes, all right? In our state, we got income tax. Texas don't have income tax. Tennessee don't have income tax. Louisiana don't have income tax. And I don't think Oklahoma has income tax. I think all the states that border us don't have income taxes. But anyways, all right, let me see. We pay sale tax, right? So anytime we go Walmart, Best Buy, swipe, we're getting taxed, all right? So think about it this way, all right? So your net income, excuse me, your gross gets taxed, right? Then whatever you take home is your net, right? Then your net is taxed as well because you got to go out and buy stuff, right? So you get paid, right? You got to go buy some groceries. So- you just got taxed. Now, when you go to Kroger or Harks or wherever your local grocery store is, you swipe, you're getting taxed. Or you give them cash, they're taxing you. 
right? Property taxes, all right? You're getting taxed. So once a year uh, here in our county or every county here in Arkansas, all right, you got to go to the assessor's office and you got to buy, hey, by October, you got to give them X amount of dollars because the amount of property that you own, okay? You get taxed when you got to register your car every year or every two years, okay? You get taxed when you go buy gas. So when you want to go on your vacation or your trip or you want to see somebody, you're going to the beach tomorrow or whatever because it's Memorial Day, right? You swipe your card, you're getting taxed, right? Where else are you getting taxed? We said property taxes, right? We said state taxes, okay? Where else are we getting taxed? Groceries, said that. So anytime we go shop, we're getting taxed. So every day, if you really think about it, you're getting taxed. <laughs> if you go to come and go and you want to get an IC for a dollar, it's not a dollar, it's like a dollar eleven. You're getting taxed. You want to go buy a TV, you're getting taxed. You want to go buy gas, you're getting taxed. If you want to get diapers for your kid, you're getting taxed taxed then obviously every april you got to file your federal taxes and state taxes and then here in arkansas in october you got to pay taxes so every day you're being taxed not just on your gross but also on your nets so how close do i think we are from the average american realizing how much in taxes they actually pay than taking action to change that. I don't know, Jeremy, because I think one of the things is this, like since we get pretty much more and more people are getting paid electronically, right? Or they're getting, you know, they're getting paid direct deposit into their bank account. Or like my kids, when they were working in high school and worked at a fast food joint, you know, they got these little money cards and they got paid on there, right? They just saw money hitting their account. I had to show them, I was like, well, this is how much you made. This is how much you brought home, right? Because they would get a little sheet that reported, you know, their taxes and things like that. But I think one of the trade-offs into uh, getting paid electronically is you don't really, you may not really be paying attention anymore to how much you're getting long as you're getting paid. Now, if you're getting paid hourly, you may be, and there may be individuals who are probably a little bit more um, discriminant, or excuse me, more introspective into, you know, making sure their pay is lining up with their hours and an hourly wage. Okay? And you have some that's probably not. You know, I guess back in the day, you know, they would come around and be like, hey, you got to pay your taxes, right? Hand is out. <laughs> like, dang, I got to pay taxes, right? And you felt that coming as you was reaching into your pocket or into your, your bag and had to pull it out and pay it. You like, you was feeling that. Now, I don't know if you're really feeling that. It's more of a, like watching a math problem happen. You're like, okay, whatever, I got to pay. I don't, Jeremy, I don't know what it's going to take. Um, I think a, a switch is happening where 
as long as individuals are getting something from the state, right? Uh, that is distracting them from what is being taken out of their other pocket, right? It's a shell game. It's a hustle. It is a hustle. It's a hustle, right? I'll take $5 and give you three back, right? And I'm like, ooh, I got $3, but you didn't realize they took five from you, okay? Um, and, and that number may be often just using it as an illustration. So, but what's going to change that? What is going to change that? I think having discussions like these will be helpful. So it's a great question, Jeremy. I think as well as educating people on all the taxes that are hefted upon them. Okay. I think the other thing is this is not being um, shy, but having the courage. Courage means there's, this is a pre- something that's done in the presence of fear. I got it. Okay. So I'm not dismissing the fact that it's a fearful thing, but it's having the courage to look at a local official, a county official, a state official, and even a federal official and being like, um, why are you taking more and more of our money? Because here's the thing. What has happened right now is it's not a contest, if you will, between ethnic groups. What it really is, is a contest between those who are taking more and more money from individuals. The other thing I want to say is this, is it would be more productive. I saw President Biden, uh, he is uh, proposing like a $6 trillion plan to basically make America great, get it back on economic awesomeness, right? And he had made a comment in his presentation, I believe he was in Michigan, where he said, you know, it's not going to be trickle down, right? But it's going to be bottom up. But then I realized something. I was like, well, it is trickle down. It's just not, and, and trickle down is not what it is. I would encourage you to read Thomas Sowell's uh, book on uh, intellectuals and societies and intellectuals and society. And he picks apart that whole mischaracterization of uh, the trickle down uh, theory that, you know, that sought to disparage President Ronald Reagan's plan. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the trickle down is coming from the state. So instead of money being returned to everyday citizens for them to determine how to spend their money in terms of investment, right, in terms of hiring individuals, in terms of, you know, fill in the blank, right? The trickle down is actually coming from the state. The state will determine through some level of central planning, right? um, Who's going to get what and where it's going to go. It's trickle down. So I think that was very disingenuous of President Joe Biden to say that. But nonetheless, how is that six trillion paid for? Well, I was used to say, especially last year, hey, we're going to pay for this in the future, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But the federal government, they are high on just printing money right now. It's like, you've seen that Oprah meme meme where she's like, for everybody, for everybody, for everybody, you know, they got that 
the Fed has got that printing press going and just printing money. But what that's going to do, it's called fiat, okay? But what that's going to do is just going to kill the dollar. Your buying power is going to get less and less and less. It's Keynesian economics. Take care of the problem right now. Don't worry about the future ramifications. So I'm I'm hopeful that we keep having these discussions and we have it courageously. And the other thing is this, is, and I have to say this to my friends who um, seek to help others, um, it is disingenuous and it's not fair uh, to look at someone who is against raising taxes, okay, to say to them, well, you just don't care about poor people. Well, you do understand that a lot of those costs are eaten up in administrative costs. And it is more effective to help, quote unquote, poor people. All right. Americans who are experiencing some type of poverty. It is more effective for that money to remain as close to the local level as possible. In that way, everyday people and neighbors and citizens can figure out how to effectively and efficiently serve the needs of those individuals in that particular area. Because as I've said before, the needs of Americans who are poor in Conway is different than the needs of those Americans who are poor and live in Little Rock or Los Angeles or Dallas. It just is. It just is. Because there's a number of variables at play. And a variable no more significant than that human being who is an individual who is negotiating his or her life and making a series, a million of decisions regarding his or her situation. And no top-down situation can effectively address that. So I hope I answered that question for you, Jeremy, on today. Hey, I am coming to a close. Thank you for those who proposed a question here on Ask Dr. Phil, Humanity Matters Weekly. So as we get to our uh, close here, just a reminder, you can connect with me on any of the different social media outlets. Love to connect with you. Hey, if you watch this on YouTube, please subscribe. I'm trying to hit that 100 by the end of the month. Got some goals, you know, got to work those goals. Okay. Uh, remember this coming Friday, Kendrick Lamar, Rap, Hip Hop and Freedom, Volume 2. Be a good one. We'll be closing out Volume 2 of this series. And then in June, Lawrence Reed, President Emeritus of Foundation for Economic Education. We will be uh, talking with him. It'll be a great opportunity uh, to learn from pretty astute man. So remember to be loved, to be kind, to be generous, and remember to live in hope we can do the impossible. Y'all take care and God bless. Thank you for joining us at the Humanity Matters Podcast. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org. 
like us on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Remember to be loved, be kind, be generous. If we remember to live in hope, we can do it.